Well, good morning to you all. Thank you for being with us today. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Our Bible reading will be just the first two verses of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we pause in our morning. We worship You. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our obedience, our very lives. We thank you, Father, that you have made it so that we can come to you in prayer, that we have entrance into your presence, we have access to your throne that we can bring these things before you because of what our Savior Jesus has done. And so this morning we bring ourselves and our needs, and they are many, too many in fact to list. We pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that in this time you would by your Spirit, minister to us with your word open before us. Pray that you would encourage your people. Pray that you would strengthen the weak, bind up the brokenhearted. I pray that you would draw to yourself those who don't yet know you. I pray that you would do a great work beyond all that we ask or imagine. We pray that you would do that even starting these next few minutes. So we ask for your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I was told by a uh, friend of mine who likes to lift weights just a few weeks ago, he told me that he looked at me and thought, now there's a runner. And I thought, what, what he means is skinny. <laughs> Well, then I was talking to a running friend of mine, and he looked at me and he said, you haven't been running, have you? <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm developing a complex about, about all of this. You see, I, I uh, played baseball when I was growing up, and uh, of course, when you play baseball, you do some running, but it's kind of in 90-foot increments, so you don't do all that much running. It's, it's home plate to first base or stealing second or whatever, and so I kind of grew up doing that, and then 
when I got into high school, I discovered cross country and started running cross country, and we had to stretch it way out to 5K, right? So you're running 3.1 miles, and that was a new thing for me. You know, I, I had to wear different shoes, and I had to take a different pace and all that kind of stuff, and uh, I had to go from 90 feet to, to 5 kilometers. And then uh, when I was in my 30s, I decided it would be a good idea to run a half marathon, because why not, right? And so I uh, ran 13.1 miles, and that's a completely... Uh, other uh, animal than what I had run before. And then recently, in the last couple of years, I've discovered that there are uh, crazy people, I'm sure, who run 50 miles, 100-mile races, 200-mile races. I can't, even, I can't even comprehend that. I can't, I can't imagine uh, what the difference between, you know, sprinting to first base versus running 250 miles. And actually, this very week, there's a race up at Lake Tahoe that is a, it's called the Tahoe 200. They run 200 miles around Lake Tahoe. I, yeah, people are shaking their heads and that's kind of the way I look at it. But if you think about what goes into running 200 miles around Lake Tahoe, and then you think about the effort and the, and the endurance that it took to get 16-year-old me to run five kilometers, you know, three whole miles, and then contrast that with people in their 60s and 70s sometimes who will run 200 miles. You can't even compare those two different things. And so there's running, and then there's running. And we are uh, talking today about the topic of running. The the Christian life is, is not a sprint. You know, you you're not just trying to make it to first base and, and beat out the, the throw. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a, it's a, a long, uh, long-haul event. It requires grit. It requires endurance. And particularly when you're going through suffering, when you're going through loss, when you're dealing with persecution perhaps, or, or just personal pain in the Christian life, then, then suddenly we see that um, it, it seems long, not, not a sprint and not even a couple-mile jog. This, this goes on and on and on. We, we run the race that is before us. And so the, our passage today is talking about a race talking about a run that we have in the Christian life. And what we want to look at today is how it is that we can run this Christian life with endurance. Endurance was something I had to learn. It was something new for me. It was something entirely different than just, um, just running around the bases on the ball field. Endurance is a, another matter, and this passage here is talking about endurance running. And so how can we do that? How is it that we can run this race that we are in with endurance? And so we're going to work our way just through uh, these couple of uh, verses here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And before we even dive into it, I want to notice that uh, chapter 12 comes after chapter 11, which makes sense, but we want to pay attention to that. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and you just look through what we call the hall of faith, So here in this context, if we were to work through this and read through it, I would encourage you, by the way, if you need some encouragement this afternoon, perhaps, or this week, to go and read Hebrews chapter 11. 
Then you'll be confronted with the lives of these saints who have faced all manner of difficulties and they have trusted the Lord and seen Him be faithful in the midst of these different kinds of circumstances. And so we are going to start off our passage today by paying attention to encouragement. And as we look at the lives of these saints that are found here in the hall of faith, we see again and again that by faith so-and-so did this, and by faith someone else did that, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, all the way through by faith Noah built the ark. Noah, who had never seen rain, it was building an ark, even while being derided by those around him. By faith Abraham obeyed God and left his home. He heard the voice of God and he left, trusting God. And by faith, his wife Sarah received the ability to conceive a son, trusting God that he was able to do that. And by faith, Moses, and this one's powerful when you think about Moses, who had such opportunity. Here he was, born the child of a slave, but then remember he found his way into Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's own daughter uh, raised him as her own son, and so he was raised in that context with with all the benefits of being royalty, being a prince. What do we read in chapter 11, verses 24 and following? By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He wasn't afraid of the visible king because he knew the invisible king. He wasn't afraid of Pharaoh on the throne because he knew God on the throne. And so he was willing to endure that. That is by faith. That is what he faced by faith, and he was willing to do so. And so we look at our passage, having thought through just very, very briefly a couple of these saints that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We open up in chapter 12, and we read, Therefore, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, when you read the Bible and you run across the word therefore or wherefore, you should ask, what's the therefore, therefore, or wherefore, the wherefore, and that sounds a little bit like a joke, but it's not. You need to pay attention when you see that word. A conclusion is being drawn. Some, something is, is uh, being wrapped up, and there's a point being made. And here we have, therefore, in light of Hebrews chapter 11, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and then he's going to go on and make some points, but he wants to call attention. He wants us to think about that hall of faith. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, the imagery that we're going to see in this passage, just in these couple of verses here, is really the imagery of a, an athletic competition where you've got a stadium, and it's packed full of people, and uh, you've got an event going on. You've got uh, perhaps an Olympic race that, that is uh, taking place. So he's using that sort of imagery to help us think about what's going on in this passage. But I, I've always asked the question for myself, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. 
And these are obviously people who've gone before, people who, who are in God's presence. They're in glory. They're not, they're not standing around watching our lives because they need something to do. Are these, are these witnesses who are witnessing what we are doing? Are they spectators? Are they sitting in the stands and they're watching us compete? Is that the kind of witnesses they are? I don't, I don't think people in glory are all that invested in being distracted from glory itself to watch people like us go through our lives. And so I've always kind of struggled with that language of them being these witnesses that have gone before. Well, really, if you think about, if you think about witnesses, there's a couple of aspects to being a witness. One is that you do watch something. You've seen something, and so you're a witness to that thing. But then you can go on later and testify about it. There are two elements to that. And I think it's that second element that's more being focused upon here. And so how is it these, uh, these witnesses are testifying to us? Well, I, I think of my time in high school and being in the high school gym, and, and I would look up on the wall, and if you remember, they've got the banners on the wall, and it'll say... You know, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, varsity football, you know, 1972 state champs or whatever. I made that up. Somebody in here knows what year they were champs. I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it says on the wall right there, they were the football state champs, you know, double AA, A, triple A, whatever it was. Or it'll say like, you know, uh, women's softball state champs, uh, 1985 or something like that, right? Those are banners. They are hanging up on the wall. And why are they there? Well, those banners testify to the athlete who has put on the jersey, that there is a consistency, that I'm I'm playing for a particular team, and this team has seen action before, has seen victory before. I'm in a line that is consistent with that. And so I think what we're seeing here, these witnesses are... They're not, they're not gathered to watch this spectacle. They're not, the, they're not the fans who are sitting in the stands watching what's going on, but much more. They're the, they're the line of people who've gone before. They're those who have played in those games before. They've competed. They've been down this road, and they're telling us about their experiences. They're telling us about their victories, about their losses. They're telling us about how they saw God be faithful in their own lives. I think that's what these witnesses are telling us. So this imagery of, of a, a packed athletic stadium with a competition going on, and we're the ones competing on the floor. We're the ones who are in the game right now, but the people gathered around who are the witnesses, they are telling us, God has been faithful. I have been where you are, and God was faithful. It's like looking at those banners in the high school gym about games and victories past. And I think that's what's happening here in this section. That's what these witnesses are. They are encouragement to us. They're not spectators watching us. They are encouragement to us about God Himself. So we've got this Olympic race That's the imagery used here, and I think what's going on is these witnesses are not gathered to watch us as much as they are gathered to shout encouragement at us. And so we need to hear that encouragement. We need to receive that encouragement. We need to pay attention to 
that encouragement. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I think that gives us a little bit different perspective when we read through Hebrews chapter 11. These are people whose lives declare to us the faithfulness of God. These are people who, who have been where we uh, are and where we're going. These are people who have faced difficulty and even extreme difficulty, even giving their own lives. And they're saying, through it all, God is faithful. Through it all, God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be trusted. And so we are to pay attention to that encouragement that we hear from these passages, from these stories of the lives of these saints. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need to be prepared for endurance. Prepared for endurance. We've got these people who are shouting before. We've got these people who are telling us about their stories and all that has got on. And in light of that, he says, let us lay aside every weight. If you think about an athlete, there's, there's special clothing uh, to do athletics. And that's, you know, so there can be a whole business <laughs> enterprise making money doing that stuff. But also, you don't want to go and, you know, come home from work and you're in your work clothes and your work pants and, and everything else. And then you go straight to the gym and now you're going to go for a run or something like that. You dress differently when you're going to work out when you're doing athletics. An athlete dresses differently. And one of the, one of the ways we do that is we lay aside every weight. You don't pick up heavy things to go then for a long run. I remember uh, several years ago when I first got into kettlebells. Uh, if you don't know what a kettlebell is, it's like a cannonball with a handle. That's about what it is. And they make them different sizes and weights. And, and I was first fascinated by one, and I had read about how the, uh, the, the Spetsnaz uh, soldiers in the Soviet Union would sometimes go for runs carrying their kettlebells because it's a Russian thing. And, and I thought, well, that's cool. And so I went for a walk. I had a kettlebell, and I took this kettlebell with me just to see what that would be like. And you can imagine what it was like to carry a 35-pound cannonball uh, for a walk, right? And we went for about a, about a uh, walking for a you know, quarter of a mile out, and I'm getting a little tired trying to figure out how to carry this thing. And, you know, and, and then we get a half a, a half a mile out, and, and suddenly I'm looking for a bush to leave it under. <laughs> stinking thing. You know, I, don't, I don't want to carry this thing anymore. And, 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 uh, and so I'm trying to find a place to leave it. I'm trying to give it to my wife, and she's smarter than that, so she's not going to take it. And uh, we don't go for a run carrying a kettlebell. I mean, you can. I tried it once. I tried going for a walk with it. But when you're going to exercise, you ditch those things. You don't take with you the heavy stuff when you're going for a long run. Running shoes are lighter than work shoes. They're lighter than regular shoes because you're going to be carrying them a long way. And so the exhortation here, the encouragement here is to lay aside every weight. Don't be picking up extra weight to take on this long journey that is the Christian life. So I learned my lesson, and, and unless 
someone else made me do it. I've never taken a kettlebell for a walk again. <laughs> we should lay aside every weight. So what practically in our lives might be a heavy weight? Something that we ought to lay aside. And he's going to get to sin in a minute. You read down the verse and he's going to talk about sin. So it seems like there's a distinction. There's something different about this weight that we are to lay aside that's different from sin. So what kind of things in our lives might we have that, that aren't really sinful but would be a weight we wouldn't want to take with us on a long run? What might that be? What, what would be an example of that? Well, I don't know what it is in your life. I'm just going to give some suggestions and, and trust the Spirit to continue your mind working that direction so that you can think about what these things might be in your life. But it could be that Maybe there's just something in your life that itself is not sinful or problematic, but it distracts you from family, distracts you from other obligations that, uh, that require more time, particularly during a time of suffering. Maybe something during the normal course of your life when everything is going wonderful, uh, maybe this, this endeavor or this aspect of your life is no big deal because the rest of life is going great, but when something else happens in, in the rest of life and you've got more effort that's needed at, at, in your family, you need to give more attention to your children, you need to pay attention more to your wife, or you've got this other situation in your family that, that requires extra time, but your time is taken up by these other things. Maybe in that situation, these other things, whatever they might be, maybe it's a hobby, or uh, maybe it's just uh, something that you like to spend your time doing, or, or an emphasis of yours, or I don't know what it might be. But in a time of suffering, all of a sudden, you need to give time over here, and you don't have it. You don't have, perhaps, the emotional energy to give time to your family and to, to church or, or to uh, maybe a work situation or, or, or working uh, on issues in your own life. You don't have the time or the energy to give because you've already got it all committed over here. And under normal circumstances, okay, not a big deal. But when there's crisis over here in your life, suddenly you need that margin to be able to address these things. And maybe that's one of those weights that you ought to lay aside, maybe for a time, or maybe you ought to consider that more long-term. And I don't know what that might be. So maybe it's something as simple as a distraction. But I was thinking about what, what might be Another example of a weight that we ought to cast off, particularly during a time of pain, a time of difficulty or suffering. And I think, I think social media might be one of those things. And why do I say that? I talk bad about social media all the time. <laughs> but this, this, I think there's a very particular reason. Because I think social media during a time of suffering makes your suffering harder. Just like maybe an overcommitment in, in, in a hobby or some other area of life uh, needs to be pared down because it's making, it's, it's making the suffering more difficult because you don't have the time to give to it. You don't have the energy, the emotional energy or whatever to, to help to solve this problem. Likewise, with social media, what, what is the nature of social media? It's built on the concept of people presenting their best face for all to see. Well, so then, if I present my best face for all to see, I, I, I caught a, a really happy selfie with my family and, and posted that, and, and, and perhaps that was the only really happy moment of the day. 
Perhaps that was the only really picture-worthy moment of the week, but I present that to you, and you're thinking, well, my family's going through difficulty. And and look at them, smiley faces and and picture-worthy moment. There's no suffering going on there. They're doing great, and I'm doing awful. It makes your suffering worse. Now, is it true that they're doing great and I'm doing awful? No, probably everybody has various degrees of suffering, but the the very nature of social media itself presents it in such a way that that it causes a kind of envy about the lives of other people. That you're seeing this best face of their life and you know the, the reality of your own life and you think, well, stinks to be me. And it makes your suffering worse. And particularly if you're going through a, a very hard time where you're already suffering, you're already feeling the pain of what's going on in your life, what's going on in your situation, and then you look at these other things and, and what a, uh, a discouragement that makes your suffering even harder than it needs to be, even harder than it was before. And so maybe that's a weight. Maybe that's like taking a kettlebell for a walk. That You just need to find a bush and leave that. Come and pick it up later. Or maybe not pick it up later. I know that for myself, having gotten off social media has helped me in a lot of ways, just uh, like these that I see here. And so perhaps that's one I don't know. Is social media sinful in itself? No, it's not. Um, But it can be something that makes your suffering more difficult, and so perhaps you ought to consider giving that up. Maybe that is a kind of weight. Now, again, there's weight that we ought to lay aside, and he's going to get to sin in a moment. We're just talking about the weight issue. Maybe that's a weight you need to, you need to lay down. Perhaps, perhaps it's something a little bit more substantial than that. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it has to do with financial debt, that you've gotten your place into a fi- yourself into a financial situation where when things are going well, when you're making all the money that you need to, and when, when the economy is going in a, in a good way, that, that, that carrying this level of debt perhaps you think is okay. And I'm not making judgments about that. This isn't a sermon about that at this point. But, but when you've got a level of debt and then all of a sudden inflation starts eating your extra money, and suddenly what was something you could manage on a good day now on a bad day, makes your suffering more difficult. Perhaps if you uh, have gotten yourself into that kind of spot and a health situation comes up or something like that that, that is going to require more money, or maybe you've got a family member who, who needs your financial support or, or maybe someone close to you in the church or something like that where, where you would love to be able to minister and help in that time of suffering to help them out in that situation, but your money is obligated elsewhere. And so perhaps you need to find a way to get yourself out of that situation. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a weight that you need to, to cast off. And so I don't, I don't know what it might be. I'm not suggesting anything in particular, but he says here that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, so let us also lay aside every weight. We're, we're embarking upon, we're at some stage along the run of a very long endurance race. And sometimes we've, we're carrying extra weight that we might need to consider getting rid of. And so we are to be prepared for endurance. And so we need to think about casting off those weights. But then he does continue and he says, he says not only casting off the weight, but basically let us lay aside sin which clings so closely. 
And I don't think this is... Um, I was, I was kind of taught the idea of a besetting sin, a sin that you are particularly prone to uh, that, that will likely show its head in various ways throughout your life. Now, I, th- I think there's truth in that, but I don't think that's really what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that sin itself clings closely. It holds to you. Sin is like, like a, an entangling garment, you know, if you uh, we're wearing a robe. You know, you watch a boxer get in a ring, for example, and he might do his entrance or whatever, and he's got this robe on and because and, he's trying to stay warm, and, and he comes in, and what is the first thing he does? He takes it off so he can fight the guy, right? He doesn't stand there in his robe wanting to duke it out because it would entangle his legs, it would hinder his arms, it would get in the way, it would cause problems, and the author here says that's what sin is like. It, it entangles us. It ensnares us. It grabs a hold of our arm when we want to throw a punch. It gets in the way of our feet when we want to run. It hinders us. And so he says, looking at the lives of these saints, looking at, at uh, what they've been through and, and, and reading through that list there in chapter 11, he says, now let us lay aside this weight, this extra weight, and... Sin which clings so closely. We need to give thought to sin in our life that we aren't really focusing on, that we aren't really giving attention to. We need to lay aside sin. Sin itself clings closely. It doesn't doesn't wait around the, the bend. It's not hiding in a dark alley waiting for you to walk by. Folks, we carry sin with us. It's already right here. It's not waiting to pounce out there. It's something that we carry within us, and so we need to be all the wiser about the reality of sin and what it does for us and what it would do for us, and so we need to pay attention. We need to give thought to laying aside every sin which clings so closely Trying to live the life, the Christian life that we have before us is difficult enough, isn't it? The, the, the difficulties we face, the, the hardships, perhaps persecutions, uh, relational difficulties and, and, and personal failures or the failures of those around us, those things are heavy enough. Those things are hard enough. That, that run is already long enough without us being tripped up at every step by this sin which clings so closely. Trying to live the Christian life with unresolved sin is like trying to go for a run while you're wearing a bathrobe. So we need to address sin in our lives and not turn a blind eye to it. Not, not just focus on all oh, the really bad ones and these others are, are no big deal. And we, need to, we need to see sin for what it is. We need to realize about sin that it is our enemy and we carry it around with us. Sometimes as Christians, we are hesitant to acknowledge our sin. We are hesitant to think about the depth of sin, the weight of sin, the reality of how hateful it is to God, how damaging and destructive it is to us, and how visible it is to all the people around us. We don't like to talk about sin. We'd rather just not talk about that. We'd rather just avoid that whole subject. Thank you very much. But there's nothing 
unchristian about acknowledging sin for what it is. In fact, it's a very Christian thing for us to realize that rebellion against God in whatever form it takes, whether it's in my thinking, whether it's in my words, whether it's in, whether it's in my actions, acknowledging that for being evil as it is, is a very Christian thing to do. Because folks, you and I know what to do with that. We don't have to uh, avoid it as if it doesn't exist. We don't have to pretend that it's not really there because you and I, Christian, know what to do with our sin. We already know we're guilty. That's like the baseline of becoming a Christian, is understanding our own guilt in light of holy God. You and I know what to do with it, that we, that we come to God and we say, I still have this sin. I still have sin in my life, whether it's just a desire or whether it's, whether it's these thoughts that I have or things that I keep saying or, or, or things that I keep doing. We have, we have aspects of our lives, of our thinking and of our minds and in our own, our, our own affections that are offensive to God. He says we are to love Him with all of our capacity and love our neighbor as ourself. So it is not unchristian to acknowledge that we don't do that and it is sin and so we bring it to him we bring it to him and say I have this guilt we know that he knew what to do with it that he gave Jesus his own son the one who lived a perfect life where we've not the one who died to pay the penalty for my sin knowing what that entailed. And so when I bring my sin to Him, He is, he is glorified in forgiving me of my sins. He is, he is overjoyed in be able, being able to pour out forgiveness upon me and credit His righteousness to me. And so He already knows the presence and the reality and the truth of sin in my life. He takes great joy in, in alleviating that, in taking it away and when we acknowledge He took that upon Himself and we have life in its place. And so, Christian, we know what to do with sin and so let's not hold on to that. Let's not pretend as if it doesn't exist. Let's bring that to Him. Let's lay that down before Him and let's deal with that and turn from it, recognizing that it is wicked before God. It is damaging to us. It's hurtful and it's like trying to go for a, a jog in a bathrobe. And let's lay it aside, leaving it at His feet. And so, He says we are to lay aside every weight and we are to lay aside every sin which clings so closely. So, let's don't turn a blind eye to our sin. But then He gives the, the primary exhortation. Those are preparatory. Laying aside the weight dealing with your sin, laying aside the sin which clings so closely. That's all preparatory stuff. But now he gets to the primary exhortation, and this is what he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You've got to do those things. You've got to put down the kettlebell, and you've got to take off the robe. You've got to be dressed appropriately for what you're going to do. Lay those things aside so that we can run with endurance the race that is before us. It's a it's a long-haul endeavor. It's not a sprint. It's not a, a quick fix. There, there are no shortcuts in this. 
I think that's one of the more difficult things for a new Christian to wrestle with is the fact that there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. That in fact, there often are times in our lives where there is not even all that much excitement. That I remember as a new Christian, I was just, I was overawed every day by the fact that my sins were forgiven. And that itself was fuel for my day. It was just wondrous. It was just amazing for me to think about the fact that, that He has forgiven me of my sins because of what Christ did on my behalf. That He paid the penalty for me. That He would call me His own child. That's just amazing. And it still is amazing, isn't it? But now I need a little bit more reminding. Sometimes, you know, I've been a Christian for 30-something years. Sometimes I wake up and I think that and remind myself of that truth and and, and, but then I realized, but the, you know, this Christian life sure looks like a day in, day out, doing regular life kind of stuff. Not like a highlight reel, like I thought it would when I was a brand new Christian. In fact, if you think about training for a, a long run, if you think about training for a 200-mile race, which I can only imagine, there's stuff that goes into it, and that stuff is not all that exciting. You have to think about things like diet. Who wants to do that? Six of you in the room like to think about diet. The rest of us don't like that. You've got to think about diet, right? There's mundane training. You know, there's stretching that's involved. <laughs> you know, there's, there's going for this kind of run and that kind of run. You've got to get up early in the morning and wear a headlamp, and you've got to deal with heat and all these kinds of things. There's mundane training, right? You're just putting in time and miles. It gets dull, this, this training. The, the preparation for that just kind of uh, it gets dull. Unless you keep your, eye, your eyes on what you're doing, keep your mind on where it is you're heading and why you're, why you're doing it. But training itself is not all that exciting. And the Christian life can be like that in some ways. You know, you, you pray, and you don't immediately hear answers to those prayers. Okay, you pray again, and you don't immediately hear answers to that prayer either. And again... And again, not always being able to see what it is God is doing, and you're, and you're praying, but you don't, you don't know what that answer is. You're growing in the Christian life, and, and this, this endurance race looks a lot like confessing sin and asking forgiveness from God, from one another. It looks a lot like showing grace to those around you, particularly when they just don't deserve it. That's a lot what this endurance race of the Christian life looks like obeying when no one's looking, when only the Lord sees you. That's not all that exciting. That's the Christian life. Getting up when you've failed. You've fallen flat on your face and getting up and going again. That's, that's what the Christian life looks like. Singing praises with the familiar congregation around you, just like we did last week just like we'll do next week. It doesn't always seem like a highlight reel. Reading your Bible, loving your spouse, parenting your kids, being a good employee, and things like that. There's, there's not a lot of excitement in that. But there are also no shortcuts in that. You can't just arrive at one of those places. You continue practicing these things regularly, repeatedly, relentlessly, 
This is the race of the Christian life. It's a, it's a long-haul endeavor, isn't it? It's not a glorious 40-meter sprint. Notice what the author says, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race has been set before you. Who set that race? You know, I mentioned the Tahoe 200. That's a, a race that's going to go on, and it'll start this week. And, and somebody, some group of people, put together the route that, that you're going to turn this corner, and you're going to make that climb, and then you're going to go this way. and you're going to, Someone set out the route before them. Well, who set out the route of our lives? Well, the Father did. Who set out the route of, of Christ's life? He says again and again, I came to do your will. These things that I've done, you gave me to do. These things that I've said, you gave me to say. Jesus says to the Father. It is the Father who has laid these things out before us. He's the one who has set the course before us. And that ought to give us comfort. Because we know the very one who set out that course before us. And his desire is not to destroy us. You know, when you're running those long races and, and you, you, you turn and, and face up that hill and you think, wow, that's a long hill. I'm probably going to die on this one. Well, the people who laid out the course, they, they might like to cause a little pain every now and again. I think they probably enjoy that. But they set it up on purpose because that leads to something else, leads to the next thing. They've designed the whole course and God has designed the course of our lives as well. And He is our loving Father. He's the one who cares about us. And so we have that course before us, knowing that He's the one who has marked it out. And so we can, very, uh, we can take comfort knowing that He is the one who laid that out before us. And so when we face that difficulty, we can see this is the course God has set for me. And that looks like a steep hill. And it looks like it's going to kill me. But my father laid that out before me. And so I'm going to press on and run with endurance the race that is set before me. That ought to give us comfort knowing that it comes from the father. And so let us run with endurance the race set before us. And here's the key, point number three. Trust in the great victor. Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. He doesn't just say, here's the course, it's long and hard, so buck up. He says, here's the course. People have gone before. It's long and hard. And look to Jesus. So we trust in the great victor, the one who has run this race and the one who is the ultimate victor. As we saw in chapter 11, uh, so-and-so by faith did this and so-and-so by faith did that. Well, Jesus is the one who, who was perfectly victorious in every way. He's the ultimate example for us. We look to this great victor. What, what are some things we learn about Jesus himself just from verse 2? Well, first we learn his identity. He's the founder and 
perfecter of our faith. And he, he drew us to faith in the first place, faith in Himself. He's the founder of our faith. And He will be faithful to bring it to completion in the end. He's the one in whom we believe. He's the one who draws us to faith. He's the one who has overcome, who has received the victory. He is the founder of our faith, and He is the perfecter. He is the finisher. He is the one who will bring it to completion. He guarantees that He will do so. And so we learn His identity. He drew us to faith, and He will be faithful to bring it to completion in the end. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Secondly, we learn about His motivation. Who for the joy that was set before Him? Why did He do what He did? Well, the, for the joy that was set before Him, He did it. He didn't do it under duress. Uh, no one twisted His arm and made Him suffer these things. He undertook it. And it was painful and it was arduous. And He did get to the point where He said, he said, Father, if, it's, if it be your will, take this from me. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So it was a, it was a terrible suffering, but he did it for the joy that was set before him. And what, what joy was his motivation? What joy was he looking at? What did he keep his eyes fixed on? Well, first of all, the glory of God. That he, the Son of God, understood God's glory is on the line in this. God is, God is holy and righteous, and sin deserves to be punished. God just can't, can't just let it go and overlook sin and pretend like it doesn't exist. He can't just block it out of its vision. It needs to be paid for. And so Jesus says, I will under, undertake that. I will pay the penalty for sin. I will take that upon myself. He does it for the glory of God, and particularly the glory of God in the redemption of sinners. Because as, as sinners, it is, it is right for, for God to pour out punishment on their sin. That is a right and good thing for Him to do. It is just and holy for Him to do that. But God decided He wanted to redeem sinners. And yet His wrath still must be poured out. And that's where Jesus steps in and bears that wrath in His own body. So we see Jesus is keeping that joy before him, the joy of redeeming sinners for the glory of God, as well as his reward at the end of it. If you think of what, what we read about in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, his, his reward that he focused on, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He had his eyes fixed on that. The glory of God and the redemption of sinners and the reward that would come to him. So we learn about his own motivation. We learn thirdly about his suffering, that he endured the cross. We don't have time today to look at the pain and the, and the suffering and the, and the horrors in, uh, of the cross itself. It was a, a terrifying event. 
And he endured that. He endured that. That was what he suffered. We also learn about his perspective. He despised the shame. When he compared the glory that was to be revealed, when he compared the glory that was going to be to God as a result of this, and then he thought about the shame that was before him of the cross, the cross is not just horribly painful. It's not just torture, but it's shameful. He looked at that and said, well, this shame is is worth enduring for the glory of God. This shame is worth enduring for the redemption of sinners. And so he was willing to do that. He despised the shame. We see his reward and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, having received his reward. This is what Jesus had in mind. This is what Jesus was was thinking about as he was going to the cross. And we are to look to him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Looking here implies believing, trusting. It's not just contemplating, not just thinking about, though we do contemplate, though we do think about, we do turn our mind's eye on what Christ has done for us. It's not just that. It's resting our entire hope in what He has done. And so we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, of our faith. We look to Jesus in a couple of ways. One, He is our example. He is our example. When we think about the list of examples of those who came before in Hebrews chapter 11, Jesus is the greatest one. If you want to know how God would have us suffer, look to Christ. How did He suffer when He was maligned? What was His response when people hurt Him? The people turned on him. What was his response when he suffered pain and hardship unjustly? Something you and I don't really understand. So we have an example when we look to him. But more than an example, we look to him as our Savior. We look to him as the one who endured that for us. That he bore that penalty, that he went through all of that, that he despised the shame, suffered the cross, endured all that He did for us to accomplish our redemption. He suffered that for our salvation. By His wounds, we are healed. And so we look to Him. And as we look to Him, we find that our own faith is stoked. It's it's built up. We're encouraged all the more to trust in Him as we see what He went through for us, that He paid that penalty for me, not just as an example, though certainly as an example, but for me. The sin we talked about earlier, that each of us has, the sin that that, that recurs in our lives, that's what He bore on the tree. That's what He faced That's what he took on. That's what he was willing to take on to pay that penalty for you. And as we look to him, our own faith is built up. Our own faith is stoked. And we remember that not only only is he the founder of our faith, but the author here says he is also the perfecter of our faith, that 
He who started that good work in us will carry it on to completion. And he who paid that penalty, he who laid down his own life, he who suffered in that capacity and endured all of that, will he, will he leave the tab un, unpaid? No, he will finish. He will see it to completion. He is the perfecter of our faith. And so we look to him. We look to Jesus, our Savior. And by that, we are built up in endurance. And we're able to to face another lap. We're able to face another hill climb. We're able to face another difficult stretch. We're able to fight through it again because of our Savior. So a couple of points of application and then we'll close. First of all, listen to the witnesses of chapter 11. Their main role is not to watch us but to shout encouragement at us. So you and I need to open our Bibles and read that encouragement. You and I need to be here and be reminded of of that encouragement, of God's faithfulness in their lives through great difficulty, through horrible pain, through things we can't imagine God was faithful. We need to listen to those witnesses. And so that means we need to be reading our Bibles. That means we need to be exposing ourselves to the truth of God's Word. It means we need to be here together and encouraging one another helping one another to heed the testimony of these witnesses. The witnesses are silenced unless we open God's Word and encounter them. They're not able to play their their role. They're not able to, 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 to complete their function. Remember, their function is not watching, but telling. And so, let's listen. That's the first one. Listen to the witnesses. Secondly, lay down the weights. Put down that kettlebell. And again, I don't know what that is in your life. I've made some suggestions, but what are the unnecessary weights that you might be carrying that hinder you from running as you ought? You will particularly notice it in times of difficulty. You will particularly notice it when the running gets really hard that you're carrying something extra. So lay down those weights. Lay aside ensnaring sins. What sins are you not seriously combating? You're just kind of letting them ride because no one notices or because I haven't heard a sermon on that recently or, or because I don't feel particularly convicted about this thing or it's okay in our culture. What, what sins are you not combating seriously? What sins are you allowing to persist that you just need to lay aside? I don't know what those are, but Probably you do. Lay them aside. Fourthly, endure. Endure. Keep going. Keep looking to Jesus. Press on. Press on. Look to Jesus, our example. He despised the worst shame and endured the worst death because he had his mind on on the prize of the glory of God and the redemption of sinners, including you. So look to Jesus, our example, and look to Jesus, our Savior. The joy set before him was your redemption. Will he leave that incomplete? Will he he let us uh, fall by the wayside in this run? He will help us. He is the 
founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is at work. He has committed himself by his Spirit to work in our hearts that we would finish this race. He is at work. So look to Jesus, our Savior. Christian life is a long-distance endeavor that requires endurance. And we have examples here in chapter 11, examples of those who have gone before us in the faith. And their lives declare to us, their lives preach to us, their lives shout to us like those banners hanging on the wall in the gym about God's faithfulness. Look, he, he was faithful here with Moses. Look, he was faithful here with David. Look, he was faithful here with Joseph. Look here, he was faithful again and again. He is faithful. And he will be faithful in our lives as well. We can count on him for that. And so as any wise runner would do, let us lay aside that, that weight. Let us, let us dress appropriately. Let us lay aside the the, the sin that clings to us, that would impede us, that would hinder us, that would, that would trip us up on the race, and that weight that would drain us from, from carrying it when we don't need to be carrying it. Let us lay those things aside. As this life and its hurts get long and wearying, let us remember Jesus and what He has endured for us. He's gone down this path before, and His path was much much worse, and He endured. And He, being the founder and the perfecter of our faith, accomplished our redemption as He did that. Not just going the path before us, going the path for us. And so we have assurance that He will carry us through and He will give us endurance for the race that is set before us. And so whether you like running or not, whether whether you uh, have ever run more than five kilometers or not, you can, you can hear the words of the author here. You can, you can learn from these facts that this life that we run is long and difficult. Particularly the Christian life is long and difficult. And let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's lay aside the things that would weigh us down. Let's weigh aside, lay aside the things that would, that would trip us up, that would ensnare us. And let us keep our eyes fixed on Him. Trusting in Him looking in Him, leaning on Him. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Father, I don't, I don't know all of the sufferings in this room, all of the sufferings of those listening. I know some. I know many. I know mine. I don't know the challenges and the hardships. I don't know quite what the path looks like for each individual in this room. But I know you. And I pray that you would help me and help each one of us to take stock of our situation, that we would heed the encouragement of those who have gone before, heroes in the faith that are in the Scriptures and heroes of the faith in our own lives, that we would listen to their encouragement, that we would hear their testimony that you are faithful. You have proven it again and again. You have shown it to them. 
You've shown it in Scripture, and you've shown it in our own lives. Help us to heed that encouragement. Help us to lay aside the things that, that, that are distractions or that would just weigh us down in this run. Convict us of our sin and help us to lay it aside as well, that we would bring it before you and, and confess it and find forgiveness. That we, would, that we would lay that aside, repenting of it, turning away from it, trusting you instead. Help us look to Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that he was willing. The, the, the path that he chose, willingly accepted, was the one of suffering in my place, obeying in my place, that my sins would be paid for in him, that his righteousness could be mine. And help me run with endurance and help us Run with endurance with our eyes fixed on Jesus, our Savior. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to uh, make just a comment before we uh, end here. There's going to be a family down here uh, to pray with you. I would encourage you to do that. They love to spend time praying with you and for you, and, and uh, that's a blessed ministry. I wanted to comment also uh, regarding our giving, which is not something we have commented on very much. Uh, but in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've uh, found ourselves um, falling short in regard to um, our um, uh, giving and the ex expected rate that we do. So if you would uh, pray about that and consider what the Lord might have you to do, that, that would be an encouragement to uh, the body of Christ here. That would be an encouragement to all of us. And um, let's be in prayer for one another. As we run, with, uh, run this race, may we run it with endurance. So let's encourage one another. God bless you all, and you're dismissed.